All right, so good to see all of you, all of you that ever wanted and fancied to live in the East Coast somewhere or the Pacific Northwest. I know today is, here you go, all right? So thank God for living in Southern California in the desert. Um, and uh, we're so glad that you made it here safely to church and are in here to worship God today. As Pastor Judd mentioned, Christmas, um, what a perfect timing, right, is on Christmas Day. And um, it is the birth of Christ and more than just getting together, more than family traditions, more than um, Santa Claus and all of these things. It's the birth of Christ for Christians. And so that day, we're going to try to make a big deal out of it. Gene had to go through, um, I was going to say Rolodex, but uh, some of you don't even know what that is. But he had to go through a whole list of numbers to figure out where to get food catered and, and all of this. And so we got the special it's not a regular taco truck. It is a special one that's coming. They're going to bring a truck and a taco stand thing, right? So you have two choices. You can try the truck or you can do the stand, whatever. Anyway, so uh, we, we wanted to make a big deal of it. Christmas Day, everything's pretty much closed. So we want to invite you, bring grandma and grandpa, cousins, neighbors, and uh, man, have a celebration here um, and enjoy and uh, celebrate the birth of Christ here together, and that's going to be a glorious day. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to some of our little ones that's been practicing. They're going to be singing and uh, special worship, and obviously uh, uh, the Christmas uh, story that never gets old. So we're looking forward to that. So keep that in mind, and um, you know we'll take some of those invitations, pass it out, um, give it out to a neighbor or friend or whatnot. You know, today we look at a story. Um, that if you've been in church, you know, and also that has probably made you feel a little uncomfortable. As I was preparing this and I was studying through this, it's also made me uncomfortable. And I'm sure all throughout the centuries of church history, it's made every Christian uncomfortable, this story, that God had called Abraham to go and offer up his son, Isaac, that God would make such a request and then that Abraham would comply and he would take him up to go and kill him. And yet God stops it, right? And we know the story. But you can imagine that anyone in the faith would say, oh, why? why? Or why did this have to be in the Bible? Like, this is hard to defend to the world. This is hard to explain away. This is hard when someone is asking questions. Why or how could God let this happen? And it's hard. Um, this obviously is a story about surrendering to God on a personal level. For us here today, it's the idea of us having faith and trusting in God and surrendering when He calls us. Um, today, I want to I challenge us. I want us to not pray so much for circumstances to be easy. God, would you bless me this upcoming year with prosperity and comfort and pleasure? But even more than that, we would say, God, whatever you bring my way, would you give me faith to trust in you? Would you give me enough faith so that when things are asked of me, I can give it to you? No problem. And that should be our prayer. That should be our primary prayer. Uh, I'm not saying we should be sadistic and ask for hardships or ask for this or that, but we ought to be asking God for increased faith. All right? And so... Uh, we want to keep that in mind today as we think about this, uh, in this story, that life is about what God demands of us. And today we look at the story, and I, I want to share with you, 
um, why we can trust God, why we can surrender to God whatever he asks of us. And maybe you're thinking, oh, this is, there are certain things that I would give to God and there are certain things I don't want him to touch. There are certain things that are of value, but I would give, and there are certain things so valuable I would not give. And yet I want to encourage us, and I want to challenge you today to say there are reasons why you should give to God whatever he asks and be willing to surrender. You think about the word surrender, you know, in the old days at church we used to sing those hymns and we would sing, I surrender all. Remember that, some of you in church? And usually in the old church, we would sing that song as the offering basket's going around and the pastor would lead, I surrender all, right? And it would be difficult to say those words while putting in a little, not all, right? It would be difficult. And uh, I surrender all to Jesus. No, it's, you know, not all. I remember as a high school kid, I'm not sure this before, but during offering time and we would give our offering, and my mom would give me $5. Every Sunday morning, it was an allowance, $5. Um, you say, well, that was back then. Maybe that was a lot of money. No, that was still very little, even back then, right, in the 80s. And it was $5, and they said, make sure you give a dollar for offering. And I remember I would put $5 in, and I would hold the basket, and I would pull four ones out, because I would get change. And I would get all sorts of looks from people. And I used to be like, do the math, that's 20%. It's more than anyone in this whole church. Pass it on, right? And i got to figure out life now with $4 for the rest of the week. Um, can't get in much trouble if you only have $4 in your pocket all week. as a genius way of raising a child. Uh, but you would hear that. And it would always bother you then. It probably bothers us a little bit now. And here he asks for this surrender that he demands of us so much. It is Jim Elliott, the one who was martyred in his early 20s um, in his book, Shadow of the Almighty. He says, one does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. He says it's a lifelong process of surrendering. The Christian faith is saying, I yield to God all of my life. I obey, I give, and I do his will. May your will be done, not my will. May you increase and may I decrease. These are all these sayings and prayers in the Bible we see. Um, why can you surrender to him? Why should you surrender to him? Reason number one, God demands all of us. All of us here collectively, we could say, but all of me. This is the relationship we are in. So there is no casualness in following God. There is no, oh, I'm just a so-and-so, but I don't really practice, but I am, you know, and you hear this often from people who say, oh, I'm just a, a non-practicing Catholic or something like that. There is nothing casual. It's not something that is done part-time. It is an all-in, 100% relationship. This is what God demands. Here we see he calls him. Here is the calling of Abraham, and look what he asks of him. This is how much he asks of him. And it is detailed in this way in verse 2 of our text. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You see the preciousness of what is asked as the phrase. Now leave this up for a second. What does he say? He starts with your son. 
not anyone else's son, but your son. And he says, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God here is demanding all of Abraham. You can argue he is asking Abraham for his most precious possession, his son. They are an elderly couple. When they have this miracle child, I've noticed along that people who have children late or have a hard time bearing children, they dote and love their children even more than someone who might have had them in their 20s. Right? There's something precious about that. And you can imagine as he has waited 25 years to have Isaac, how precious this was. And God says, I want all of you. This is a relationship that demands all of you. This son represented um, his future, their family's future. A family's fortune is dictated by how many children that they had. So they could work and provide. This was the retirement plan. Not only that, it represented a future for Israel. This was going to be the great nation of God. And so the value of Isaac, you can say, is greater than any other child that might have been born. This was the most important son, and God says, I want him. He wants it all. This theme of the son, the Hebrew ben, is a word, is mentioned over ten times in our text that we've read, or we're looking at here. The idea of the son, the idea of the son. And now in hindsight, in history now, as history has passed us, we know we see, if you've been to church, you see all these parallels. Father, son, sacrifice, the ram, the animal that was given as a sacrifice, um, going up to a mountain, carrying wood, a wood or a cross that was used. And you can imagine all these things. You see, I see the parallels that is going on here. And this is what is happening, really. Now, relationships are costly. I was looking up some things, and it says, how many of you here are... Are dog people. You have a dog. You, know, just raise, you have a dog, you have a dog. Raise your hand. All right, we've got some dog people. How many of you have two dogs, right? Two dogs, all right? All right, how many of you have three dogs? All right, maybe. No, maybe. All right, zoo, right? Or whatever it is you have. Okay, so you have, they say the state, thank God you don't live in Delaware. Delaware is the highest cost to have a dog, $2,800 or something like that. California, it's something like $2,000 a year to raise a dog. Really? Someone in your family is thinking that he or she is not worth $2,000. You know what I can do with $2,000 a year? That's what the dog costs. Now, the cost of friendship. I won't even ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have a friend? I'm sure you have a friend. You might have a few friends. Um, the average cost to have a friend, a lifetime of a friendship, okay? Some of you, us are blessed. You have a friend from junior high days, and you've been having this friendship all throughout... It will cost you to have this friend $201,443.59, right? That's, uh, I looked that up. $200,000 to have a friend. And you're thinking, he's not worth that to me. But in your lifetime, because they have birthdays, somehow they have bachelor parties, they have weddings, they have kids, the dreaded kids now have birthdays, and then their kids, let me take back the dreaded, okay? Their kids now, uh, they're going to get married one day. I, it's $200,000. They say that everyone shrinks their number of friends by the time they get to the age 25. 
Why? Because you're realizing, I can't afford 25 friends anymore, right? And I can't afford these friends who are just simply the negative and uh, don't repay, right? And they, they talk about, I'll Venmo you, but they don't Venmo you. You remember that they need to Venmo you. You remember exactly how much and when and what, right? You remember. Boy, the birthday two years ago, I mean, you went all out. And your birthday, you didn't even get a text, right? You're like, oh, they, they owe. So you start weeding them out. So age 25, our number of friends shrink because that's all we could afford. Now, raising a child, all right? I want you to think for a moment. How much, there was a, an article, a study that was done by New York Times. How much it costs to raise a child to get them independent, working independent? How much will it cost you to raise a child in this way? Um, you could lean over someone next to you. Just give a number. What do you think it is? Think of a number. All right, I'll give you five seconds, ten seconds each. What, what number do you think it is? There's a lot of discussion going on. It's serious right now. Well, it depends if it's a boy or a girl. It depends where they live. They're going to go to private school, public school. Are they going to try to play too many club sports? Are they doing this? Are they doing that? Um, knowing their mom, yeah, it's going to cost a lot. Okay, so the New York Times came out and they said, you know how much it is to raise a child, to, to, to send them off into the world. That's the wording that they use. $1.7 million it costs, right? $1.7 million. And now you're thinking, I should have stayed single, friendless, dogless, childless. I should have just saved it all for myself, right? But we know every one of these is just as valuable. Those of you who spend $2,000 for a dog say, that dog is worth that much to me and even more. Those of you who think, the dog is worth more than my friend, right, that I spent 200000 in a year. And those of you with kids say, $1.7 and God keeps blessing us with more kids. Wow, right? Wow. God is going to win the lotto, I guess. We'll figure it out. So the more important a relationship is, the more it costs us. And in all of these, even with a pet, we don't regret and we don't sit there and say, okay, that's it. Right? That's it. Fido, you're out. That's it. 1,000 was the limit. You've got to go. You're eating way too much. Out, out, out. Right? No, we, we keep at it. They're worth it. And our relationship now with God, the one who walks with us, the God of the universe that calls us, and he uses metaphors like uh, parent and child. Uh, he uses metaphors like, like bride and bridegroom. He uses pictures like this just to help us understand in human terms how important our relationship is. He says ah, he wants all of you. He wants all of us. He wants all of our time, all of our money, all of our leisure, all of our dreams. He says, I want all. This is what he desires. Who we marry, where we work, how we work, everything. This is the lordship of God. This is who we, there is nothing casual about going to God. You look at, and it is embarrassing at times, but you look at people that belong to a false religion, a cult. You look at now them making their trek, whether it's to Mecca or whether it's a two-year missionary trip as a Mormon, and the sacrifices they make for a false god. And we who believe the true and living God, we often say, oh, gosh, I don't know. I just want 
a part-time relationship. He demands it all. Jesus tells us more than your own father, mother, brothers, that your allegiance has to be to him. And here he says, even your son, your only son, the one that you love, belongs to him. We have to understand that being in the will of God, it is the best place to be. And there are times we in our economy think, that's a loss. They're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. I hope God doesn't call me to these things because that's going to be just a negative for me. My earnings will go down. My savings will go down. My time, my leisure, uh, it's going to be tough. But yet, being in the will of God, as we raise, let's say for parents, as you raise your kids and you're trying to find the best schools, the best places, and the best coaches and best environment, the best place is being in the will of God. Somehow, I think Abraham understood that, that offering to God his only son, this was the best thing for Isaac. Because God loved Isaac more than Abraham loved Isaac. God loves us more than we love ourselves. And so we trust him in this. Secondly, we can now surrender to God because God is trustworthy. We always have to ask about the person's motives, their morals. Are they stand up? Are they trustworthy? The important people that we often go to, whether it is your mechanic or your dentist or your doctor or someone that's going to fix something at your house, are they trustworthy? That's the first question we ask. Can I trust them? The idea of being trustworthy is someone that has ability, someone that has knowledge, someone that knows better than what I know, someone that has the capability to now fix my teeth, fix my car, help me with things I cannot help. Are they trustworthy? God is trustworthy. The response that Abraham gives in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. That little phrase, that three-word phrase, here I am. He says it again in verse 11 of Genesis 22. When the angel of the Lord called out Abraham, Abraham and he said, here I am. This isn't just roll call saying present. One commentator points out that this is now saying, I am here at your beck and call. It is a soldier now standing up for duty when the general or the captain calls, says it's time to get ready. And they're saying, what are the directions? He's here asking, saying, I trust in you. You think about Abraham's call from the beginning. And every time God had called Abraham, it was to do something very difficult. Move from your own family. Move from your own homeland. Go and be now a wanderer, a sojourner. Go and, and then he listens. He ends up giving the good land to his nephew. He ends up now going through these parts of the world that he is not comfortable with. And again, he hears God call him. And he responds by saying, here I am. This is his way of saying, I trust you. There's a story of uh, a tightrope walker, the great Blondin. And he would, back in the day, he would do a tightrope walk across the Niagara Falls. Back in the day, um, remember some of those things, and he would walk, and he would have a barrel, he would roll the barrel across the tightrope, and he would ask the crowd, 
before he started. How many believe I'm going to make it to the other side? And everyone would cheer. I do, I do, I do. And then he would always ask, okay, which one of you want to get in this barrel? And then it was just silent. The word in the New Testament that is used of the word believe, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, we could spell it in English that way. It's translated in two different ways, to believe or to trust. Same word has two meanings. I believe in you. Not only that, but I trust in you. It is the uh, theologian, the late theologian George MacDonald, who says to be trusted is a greater compliment than to be loved. When someone comes to you and says, hey, here's the keys to this. Uh, can, are you trustworthy? Can you take care of this? More than being loved, because we love a lot of people we cannot trust. And sometimes we get that mixed up and we think, God, God is telling me to love my enemies, love everyone. You can love them, but you don't have to trust them with everything. You could say no to them on certain things. Now, to be trusted is the greater compliment than even to being loved. And so let me ask you, you might say, I love God. I feel it. I love God. You have to trust God. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is upright and All his work is done in faithfulness. Isaiah the prophet in 55, 8, and 9 reminds us that God knows better. He is trustworthy. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For uh, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. He knows better. And somehow in this circumstance, and as he is bringing now Isaac, who is a teenager, and many people argue Isaac could have overtaken Abraham. There was faith on Isaac's side as well. As he is now bringing him, somehow he thought God knows better. In our finite wisdom, we as adults might think, well, I know better. Uh, this is going to be inconvenient. This is going to be costly. This is going to take my time. I don't know, but yet God says, you can surrender to me. I still know better. I have a plan. And it is as if the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. The third reason we can surrender to him is because he is all-powerful. So he is trustworthy. He is good. He is trustworthy. But also he is powerful. It is hard to trust a God that is without ability. It is a whole another thing to trust God who is powerful. It's interesting, Abraham replies, and he goes up, and they go up with some of his servants, and it says in verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Now, this is before they go up Mount Moriah. He says, he tells the servant, stay here. I and the boy are going to go worship. And what does he say? It's very interesting. And we'll come back to you. So is he thinking this is not going to happen? Is he thinking that this uh, God's going to change his mind? 
No, he goes up there with a knife. He goes up there to make the sacrifice. What tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 kind of interprets what he was thinking there. Chapter 11, uh, Hebrews 11, we're going to look at verse uh, 19. He considered, this is Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He had so much faith. He said he's, he could raise him from the dead. God is all powerful. That death is not the end. He had this kind of faith. This is the faith that we have. This is the foundation, the fundamental ABCs of our faith. That he is greater than the grave. And all of us here at one time or another have lost a loved one. And those who have faith in Christ, we comfort one another by saying, well, they're in a better place. They're with the Lord. But this is the fundamental part of our faith, and we believe this, that God is all-powerful. I love what Paul says right? in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory. Now look at that verse, this verse 20. He is able. Paul reminds the reader, he is able. We think in our human terms, I don't know if God will do this. I don't know if God would do this or could do this. He says, no, he is able. And what is he able to do? To do far more abundantly, far more abundantly. It's almost... Um, like bad grammar. Because he wants to get the point across. It's not just a little bit more. It's far more abundantly. Abundantly, so much more. Than all that we ask or think. We could think a few things. We could pray a few things. He is able to do far more abundantly. Paul is trying to tell the first century church, please listen to this and believe this. And we, with all of our advancement today and all of our abilities, we tend to think, I can do a lot of these things. We think, oh, it's artificial intelligence could do a lot more of these things. My iPhone could do a lot of these things, but yet we lack a faith that trusts in the power of God. He, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, it's working within us. God is working in us still today. So we can now surrender ourselves. We don't have to fight or run away from God because he is in control. And fourthly is this. God is generous. God is far more generous than we are. God provides. This is the whole theme of this section. You know, a lot of people get this wrong. When they read this, they think about the faith of Abraham, the obedience of Abraham. But even greater, the main idea of this is the provision of God, the God who provides, the generous God, the gracious God. It says in verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. For a burnt offering. 
God will provide. And they go, and what happens here? As he is going to take the life of his son, as he is in the motion, he is stopped by an angel of the Lord. And in he lifts up his eyes. In verse 13 it tells us, he sees a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son, he does this. The ram that's caught in the thicket, some uh, commentators point out, this wasn't, there wasn't all of a sudden an animal that was mauled or attacked by a bear or a mountain lion that was bleeding. By it being caught by its horn in a bush, the condition of the animal was perfect. And again, we see now the, the lamb without blemish, the one that is without fault, the perfect offering to God, make sure you don't bring something with a blemish. There was no blemish. There was no cuts. And God provides this. So, verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. He named the place the Lord will provide. He reminded himself this place was not about I was so faithful. No, it was about the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. The Lord will provide. We see here why now this story was recorded by Moses. We see why this event happened. Because now, on a human term, we emotionally understand what God the Father went through when he took his only son, Jesus Christ, up on top of the hill. And many scholars say Mount Moriah is the place, it's just about the place very close to it where Christ himself was crucified. And as Abraham took that three-day journey to go up there with the wood, Christ went up there and hung on a tree or the cross. And so you see now the heart, you see the amount of sacrifice that God the Father, God the Son had provided for us. And this is the foundation of our faith. This is the gospel message. When we read this we don't say, oh, how could you, God, to Abraham and Isaac, but we say, God, how could you sacrifice for me? How could you send your perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, for in my place, instead of me? And you see that language there in the verse that we read. Shall be provided. You know, we love our children. In our home, our children, they're ranked pretty high on the list of importance. They're a little bit higher than me, right? There's certain chores that they're asked to do. But really, these chores are not real dangerous or dirty chores. The dangerous and dirty stuff, it skips them and it gets sent to dad, right? Dad has to do it. It's cold and freezing outside. We have too many heaters on and the electricity goes out. And I get the call, Dad, fix the lights. And I explain, I'm a pastor, not an electrician, all right? Let me be. They say, go. I say, why can't they touch the dangerous electricity? You should go. It's dirty, right? 
Dad, there's a flat tire. I'm not an auto mechanic. I am a pastor. Dad, can you fix the tire? Or even in enduring terms, more enduring than that is, honey, go fix the tire, right? Or, oh, there's a bear in the backyard. Dad, go check out the bear in the backyard. Because we wouldn't dare send our kids back there. Oh, just a bear. Hang on. I'll go. We love our children. Uh, we love ourselves. And yet God, who loves himself, in perfect fellowship with the Father, Son, Spirit, he offers his Son to us. He is worthy of our surrender. It is in Romans 8.32. And I close with this verse. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And Paul asks this rhetorical question. Okay, if he gave you his son, and you're worried about what to eat, what to wear, you're worried about your tomorrow, wouldn't he give you much more if he gave you his son? And that is the proof, that is all that we need. That he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so let me ask you, as God is calling you by name, and he is saying, I want something from you. Maybe you know. I've had conversations with many here where you know God's calling you to do something difficult costly, out of my plans, and we think, God, I know better, and we try to avoid him. What is he calling you to? Let me encourage you to say, here I am, God. To be in the will of God is the greatest place to be. It is the safest place to be. To be in the will of God is where we are called to be. So what is God calling you to? Give up or surrender to him. I hope it would be a simple, here I am, God. Here I am. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things uh, we value in our lives. And Lord, we value them so much simply because um, oftentimes we value you less. And today, Lord God, we're, we see this dramatic story, a, a gut-wrenching story, a heartbreaking story. Even though Abraham complied and obeyed, Lord, we can imagine what was going on in his mind and in his heart. We can imagine what was going through Isaac's heart and mind, and yet their eyes were fixed on you and they trusted. So God, at times as we serve, we, we doubt, we question, we ask. At times we think we know better, and Lord, we're reminded today that you love us, you guide us, and what you call us to do is the best place to be. So we do it. And we say, here I am, Lord. So please call us, God. Give us faith to do these things, we pray. In Jesus' name.